as we come to the passage for this morning. We're continuing our series through the book of Colossians. We've come to chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. So that should be on the screen. You can turn on your phones, turn over onto your phones here, and listen to God's Word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory." This is the word of the Lord. You may sit down and let us pray together as we come to God's word. Thank you all for the wonderful music today as well. Father in heaven, we do thank you for giving us your living and active word. We ask that you would penetrate our hearts even now, that we might hear your voice and that I might proclaim your word clearly, as you have called me to do. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you've ever traveled to a foreign country, you know that it can be very exciting when you travel there. It can also be a little bit disorienting. Some of you are from other countries, I realize, who are here at Hope, and maybe you're always disoriented by being here in America. But some of the disorientation can come, especially when it comes to food. So I've traveled to a number of countries, but one of my first experiences was back in college. And in college, I went to Lithuania on a basketball trip with a bunch of guys. We were trying to share our faith as a team with people in Lithuania. And when we got there, we realized, okay, this is a very different place than America. If you don't know where Lithuania is, it's over by Russia. It used to be part of the former Soviet Union. And when we got there, uh, I realized, okay, what we're eating is not what I normally eat. And one of the delicacies there in Lithuania is cow tongue, you know, the, the tongue of a cow. Now, I had eaten a lot of other parts of a cow throughout my life, but never the tongue. And, and as I went through the week, as I was eating a lot of these things, I realized I was more and more hungry as the week went on. And I more and more longed for a taste of home, something that I could relate to that I was used to eating. And so when we were traveling, we got to this city on the sea called Klaipeda. It's a beautiful city, but there in the distance, my teammates and I saw a wonderful sight. We looked out, and what did we see but the McDonald's golden arches? (laughs) You knew it, yeah. I'm not even a fan of McDonald's, but at that moment, I did not desire anything more than a McDonald's double cheeseburger. (laughs) I mean, this was like, okay, we ran to McDonald's because I am a citizen of the United States. I wanted a taste of America. And what more says taste of America than McDonald's? And so I went there and partaked in a double quarter pounder with cheese, and it was probably the best burger I had ever eaten in my life. Well, why am I bringing up Lithuania and McDonald's? Well, it's because when we become Christians, we become citizens of heaven. Our tastes change. God changes our tastes. And we become 
foreigners in this land. We become foreigners on earth. And what the Lord is doing in this passage is He is wanting us to align our tastes with our heavenly citizenship. The tastes have changed. He wants us, our, our allegiance has changed, our citizenship has changed. Now align our tastes with that citizenship. If you haven't been here with us the last few weeks, we've come to a point in Colossians, it's a turning point in the letter. Up to this point, there's been a lot of theology. There's been a lot about who Jesus is and why he is worthy to be worshiped. There's also been a lot about uh, these false teachers, this heresy that was going on in Colossian, in Colossae. And in this point, in, in verses 3 to uh, chapter 1, one to uh, chapter 3, 1 to 4, we see that we're looking back to that theology, but we're also looking ahead to all this practical outworking of that theology. So you might remember just last week, Pastor Jared was talking about this heresy that was there at Colossae. And these teachers were focused on earthly regulations. They were focused on don't eat this, don't drink that, observe this special day. Hey, look at me. I had this amazing vision as a teacher. Look at me and follow me. And Paul says that those things are worthless. They do nothing to stop the indulgence of the flesh. We need to look to Christ, not to all these regulations and other things that these human regulations. Look to Christ. But the question remains, if those things, if religious things don't help us stop the indulgence of the flesh, then what does? And that's what Paul is addressing in the passage today. He, he has introduced this earlier in the book. He will continue to in, to uh, go through that through the rest of the book. But here he's helping us to see how do we not indulge in the passions of the flesh. And God, I believe, is calling us today to do this, to align our lives with our new identity in Christ. Align our lives with our new identity in Christ. And the text is structured around two commands. And these two commands form the basis of two ways that we can do just that, to align our lives to our new identity in Christ. The first way is to pursue heavenly realities. We see that in verse 1 of our passage. And the second way is to adopt a heavenly mindset. We see that in verses 2 to 4. And so the first way we can align our lives to this new identity in Christ is by pursuing heavenly realities. Now, before we talk about how we can pursue these realities, we need to be reminded, Paul reminds us, why we can pursue these realities in the first place. So look at verse 1. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ. Paul here is hearkening back to chapter 2. If you remember in chapter 2, he was talking about this new life that we have been given. And when we trust in faith in the Lord Jesus, we are raised with him through baptism. Baptism is a symbol of that. We are raised with Christ. So he's hearkening back to that time, that whole discussion there. <clears throat> and so this, this phrase that he says in verse 1 is assumed to be true. Another way to say it could be, 
This is kind of what he's saying. If you are a true Christian, and I believe that you are, then you have been raised with Christ. Your life is bound to His. And here we come to the first key identity marker in our passage. Because if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been raised with Christ. That is a true fact of who you are. What does that mean? It means that you are no longer your own. It means that you are now free to live a life that is wholly linked to Jesus. You have not only the status and the place, but now you have the power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to live this life. Spiritually speaking, you have been raised with Him. Well, so that's why we can pursue heavenly realities, because we've been raised with Him. Everyone who knows Jesus in this room has been raised with Him, spiritually speaking. Well, next, Paul tells us how to pursue these heavenly realities. So look at verse 1 again. He says, seek the things that are above. Not above, like, okay, look up at the ceiling. Above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. It may go without saying, but Jesus is alive right now. Amen? Jesus is alive. When he rose from the dead, he went to the right hand of God the Father. This is affirmed it was, throughout the whole New Testament. It was also uh, foreshadowed back in the Old Testament. If you remember Psalm 110, where it says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. But in the New Testament, we have a few places that I'll point out where this is emphasized. In Romans 8.34, we read that Jesus is at the right hand of God. And even right now, he is interceding for us. Hebrews 10.12 says that when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And one last example in 1 Peter 3 verse 22. It helps us understand the importance of this right hand, being at the right hand of God. Peter talks about Jesus who has gone into heaven. That's where he is. And he is at the right hand of God. And then he explains the significance with angels and authorities and powers being subjected to him. So let's come back to our passage here in Colossians 3. Here in verse 1, Paul is saying that Jesus is in heaven. He is in a position of absolute authority. Remember, he is the king of all things seen and unseen, the created order, as we talked about in, verse, or in chapter 1. And so we are commanded to seek these things where Jesus is. How do we seek these things? We, we need to be intentional about pursuing them to continually devote our attention to these things above. But what are these things above? We need to know what they are so that we can know how to pursue them. These things above, these heavenly realities, are those things that are true of heaven and those who dwell there. So it follows, what are we to seek or pursue how practically can we do that? Well, I can think of at least five things that we can pursue as we seek heavenly things. First, pursue Jesus. 
because heaven is glorious primarily because our Savior is there. We will be with Him. And in previous weeks through Colossians, we've learned that we can only grow as His disciples when we're walking in Him, when we're abiding in Him. So we need to pursue Him, to seek Him, to spend time with Him, whether it's in prayer or spending time in His Word, to hear from Him, our Savior. We have the strength of the Holy Spirit within us to obey His will as He's revealed it in His Word. So first, pursue Jesus if you're going to seek heavenly things. Second, pursue holiness. We know throughout Scripture, heaven is a place of holiness. What are some of the most famous passages about the heavenly throne room but Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4? And there we see that the seraphim, that the living creatures, they never stop saying what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You're seated with Christ in the heavenly places, and heaven is a place of holiness. So if we want to seek the things above, we must be people who are pursuing holiness. We'll get to this next week in verses 5 to 17, and Paul will talk about what it means to walk in holiness, what to put off and what to put on. But if we're going to seek the things above, we're going to be pursuing holiness, fighting sin seeking to become more like Jesus, living for Him in the power of the Spirit. So we pursue Jesus, we pursue holiness, and third, we pursue worship if we're going to seek the things above. In Revelation 4, the 24 elders cast their crowns before the Lord and they say, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power So if we are to seek the things above, we will be people who delight in worship, in private worship, in public worship, yes, at church, but also at school, in our work, throughout our day as we're taking care of kids, to seek to honor Him and worship Him with our lives. So if we're going to seek the things above, we need to pursue worship. Fourth, we need to pursue unbelievers. Pursue unbelievers, because in heaven, there is a countless multitude of people. And these people, the only people that are in heaven, are redeemed people, saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And how are they saved? But by hearing the message about Jesus. And so God has called us to be his witnesses here on earth. So if we're going to seek the things above, we are going to seek unbelievers. We are going to seek to share our faith and share the gospel with them. And then fifth, and there's not just five things to seek. I'm just giving us five things that we can dwell upon. But the fifth, if we're seeking the things above, we will pursue kingdom values. Because again, we have been transferred from an earthly kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom of his son. And in heaven, everyone lives according to Jesus' kingdom values. So where do we see those kingdom values? Well, we can see them all throughout Scripture, but particularly in the Sermon on the Mount. If we go there, Matthew 5 to 7, we see that relying on God's strength, pursuing the kingdom values means striving to be someone who is poor in spirit. 
someone who is pure in heart, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's seeking to live in a way that affects the way that we pray, how we love our enemies, how we give to the needy, whether or not we're anxious. Pursuing these kingdom values means we're living in a different way than the rest of the world, in a way that God has called us to live. Now, that list may feel like a lot. It may be like, wow, I got I to seek a lot of things. <laughs> I got to pursue a lot. But right now, I just want you to take a moment and think about your life. What are you striving after? What consumes your attention? When, you, when your mind is on idle, what are the things that you're thinking about? What are you planning for? Are you thinking about Jesus? Are you thinking about worship, holiness, seeing unbelievers come to Christ, how you can live in accordance with Him? Or are you thinking about the here and now only? Is it only about what's coming up next week or next month or, or in 10 years? Well, if you have been raised with Christ, if you are a believer, He has given you a new heart. He's given you a power to live according to your new identity. And so He is saying, seek the things above. This week, I would encourage you to sit down. Maybe you're in a mission group. It's a good plug for mission groups. We kind of talk about the sermon from the previous week and how to apply it. We're going to be talking about that in mission groups this week. So if you're in a mission group, you can do this. If you have a spouse or a close friend, I would invite you to invite others into your life and help you assess how you can encourage and be, uh, be encouraged and encourage one another to seek these heavenly realities, these things that are above. How do your priorities need to shift? How does your focus need to change to put them in line with these things? And when you're doing that, let me remind you that growth comes in the Christian life by walking in Jesus, by grace through faith. It's not a checkbox, as we've talked about in previous weeks, but we're called to take a step. We're called to uh, live in line with our heavenly citizenship. So we don't want to delay. We want to act now. So in this passage, God is calling us to align our lives with our new identity in Christ. The first way we can do that is by pursuing these heavenly realities. Now we come to the second way to align our lives with our new identity in Christ, and that is by adopting a heavenly mindset. I wonder if you ever heard the phrase, he is so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. He's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. What do people mean when they say something like that? Well, what they mean is, you know, here's this person who's studying theology, reading about the Bible, talking about these things, but, but they don't help anybody. There's, it doesn't work out in their real life. The way they treat others doesn't, isn't really affected. They're so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. Well, Paul and, and the whole New Testament has, uh, doesn't have a category for that. Because here in verse 2, God commands us to be heavenly-minded. So, so he says, set your minds, in verse 2, on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. 
So if done correctly, being heavenly-minded should not lead us to an ineffective life here on earth. Instead, the more heavenly-minded we are, the more earthly good we will do. Well, the second command in this passage, it's very similar to the first. First, we were told to seek the things above. Now we're called to set our minds on the things above. It's so important. Paul needs to keep repeating this for us. And I wonder, what are some things that you typically set your mind to? A common one is losing weight or going to the gym. So let's just take that, for example. Say you've set your mind to get in shape. Well, if you've set your mind to get in shape, you've made some sort of plan to get that done, or else you haven't really set your mind to it. It's just a pipe dream. So you've set your mind and you've set a plan So that means when the alarm goes off, instead of pressing snooze, you go to the gym. Why? Because you've set your mind to get in shape. Or maybe you're a student and you've set your mind to get good grades. When you do that, that means you're going to stay up late to finish the assignment. You're not going to get a zero or a C or an F. You're going to stay up late to finish that assignment because you have set your minds to getting good grades. Well, that's what Paul is getting at here. The point is that as you've set your mind, your actions will follow. So just as we must seek the things above, so also we must set our minds on or think about or dwell upon the things above. So set our minds on Jesus. Set our minds on holiness and becoming like him, on worshiping him, on unbelievers, on Jesus' kingdom values, the things we just talked about. But here, Paul repackages this command from verse 1 because it's so important. And now he provides this contrast. Yes, set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. You may hear this and think, well, wait, hold up. I, <laughs> how do I not set my mind on earthly things? I, I live on earth. I have bills to pay. I have papers to write. I have got a lot to do. How can I not set my mind on earthly things? And that would be a good question. But here Paul is not talking about thinking about anything here on earth, or else that would be an impossible way to live. Here, the things that are on earth that Paul is referring to is not referring to anything on earth generally, but more specifically about sinful things in context. So Paul uses the same phrase in Colossians 3.5. We'll get to this next week. The same exact phrase in the original is the same phrase. The things upon the earth, that's in you. It, in uh, the ESV, it's translated, put to death whatever is earthly in you. But the, the phrase itself is exactly the same. So he's talking about not setting your minds on sinful things, on coveting what other people have, on sexual immorality and the like. He's also referring to, when he's talking about things on earth, to the end of chapter 2 with these false teachers who had their focus on earthly, elemental spirits and earthly things and regulations, those do not handle, do not touch, severity to the body and the like. So Paul here, he's not talking about never talk about earthly things in general, but more sinful things and things that are going to take you away from Christ. 
Paul gives the reason why we shouldn't be focused on these things by once again grounding it in our new identity in Christ. So he says there in verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. No, the, the Colossians hadn't physically died, but Paul is reminding them what he said earlier. And in the immediate context in chapter 2, at, in verse 20 there, he had just said they had died to elemental spirits of the world, meaning they no longer have a hold on him, they, on them. And earlier in chapter 2, in verse 12, he explains that the Colossians' old nature died when they trusted in Jesus. He says they were buried with Christ in baptism. So it's all about perspective. It's all about our orientation. Paul is getting at this, big picture. If you are a Christian, you are a new creation. So your focus must be in line with your new life, with your new identity, not your old sinful life, not these lesser earthly pursuits. Live in line of who you are. Some people have said that the Christian life could be summed up in become who you are. So Paul is saying, you are this. You are raised with Christ. Now become this. It's the difference between justification, God has declared us not righteous, given us, or not sin, uh, sinful and righteous. He's, he's declared us righteous, given us the positive righteousness of Christ, and sanctification, which is we are becoming who we are. We are holy. We're becoming holy. We are seated with Christ. We are seeking to have our lives live in line with that reality. So not only have you died to your own old life if you are in Christ, now your new life is safe and secure. It is hidden, he says, with Christ in God. This means, believers, that when Christ has captured your heart and saved your soul, you are secure in him. Remember what uh, Jesus said in John 10, no one can snatch them out of my hand. If you are truly a Christian, you cannot be touched because Jesus has you. That's what it means to be hidden with Christ. But being hidden in Christ also means that what we are isn't fully revealed yet. It is concealed Ken Kelly reminded me or told me for the first time about uh, this reality of glory being concealed and then being revealed later on as we look at the beautiful fall leaves. So some of you came in over here somewhere today and you saw the greens and the yellows and all of these colors. Well, during most of the summer, all the leaves are green. And they are concealed. Their beauty, their glory is concealed by a pigment called chlorophyll. And so when we look out at all those trees, it's like, okay, it's beautiful, but it's all green. But when we get to October, the sun recedes, the chlorophyll isn't producing, uh, there's not as much chlorophyll in those leaves, and other pigments come out. And these beautiful glories, these beautiful yellows and reds, and it's just beautiful if you come outside this time of year. The glory is concealed, but it's revealed in the fall. 
And this is what Paul is getting at in verse 4. He, it foreshadows the return of Christ and the incredible reality that awaits us. So it says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Friends, today you may not feel like a saint. You may not feel like you have died with Christ or that your old sinful nature has been crucified. But if you are a follower of Jesus, that is true of you. That is your new identity. Your life is so intertwined with his that Jesus, in verse 4, is described as your life. He's your life. This, he's your new identity, whether you feel it or not. You know, when I first got married, I was pretty young, Sarah and I, we were 22 years old, and uh, I got a ring, this ring, and I was married, but I didn't feel married. I still felt single. I had been single my whole life up at that, to that point. And over time, I, granted, I, I knew I was married. I was at the ceremony. You know, I knew Sarah was now living with me. It was, it was clear I was married, but I didn't feel married. It took time to develop a mindset of like, yeah, I'm a married person. I've got to actually ask her if I could spend time out outside and do, do these other things. Like, it's not just my time is my own. It's now us together. I had to learn what it meant to be married. And the same is true for those of us who know and love Jesus Christ. We need to live out of our new identity, whether or not we feel like it today or not. It's a new identity that God has given us and He is calling us. He is compelling us to live out of that new identity. We can't miss this. Friends, Jesus, if you know Jesus, he has pursued you. He has rescued you. He has given you this new identity, which is wrapped up in his perfect identity. It means your life is no longer your own. It is now found in him. And so right now, you are living by faith in that reality. That is what all believers are doing. We are living by faith with that reality in mind. But when he returns, your faith will become sight, and the glory of that reality will be revealed, much like the fall colors, those leaves that are just green now, when they are revealed and, and they reveal their true glory in a much greater way, when Jesus' glory is revealed, you also will be revealed with him in glory. John captures this brilliantly in 1 John 3, verse 2, when he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we shall see him as he is. You see, the motivation for adopting this heavenly mindset, for pursuing heavenly realities is this. You as a follower of Christ, for you as a follower of Christ, the work has already been done. A massive shift has already taken place. Jesus has died and risen from the dead, and you, believer, are seated with him in the heavenly places. That is true of you. You are secure in him. 
You have been born again, and we have been given a new life with the power to live that life through the power of the Holy Spirit given to us. And so God calls us. He compels us. He commands us to live out of this new identity that is ours already in Christ. We align our lives with this identity. Well, speaking of the Lord's return, when He comes back, and He is coming back, we don't know when, but He is coming back. We hope it's soon. It will simultaneously be a time of jubilation and of terror. It'll be a time of jubilation for those of us who know the Lord Jesus, because we will see by sight what we only know by faith right now, the Lord Jesus in all of His glory coming back, and everything we have been longing for will come to consummation then. But for those who do not yet know Jesus or don't know Jesus at that point, there will be a time of terror. Because when Jesus comes back, he is not coming back as the suffering servant. He is coming back as the conquering king. And every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And those who don't know Jesus will be punished for all eternity. So if you're here this morning, you're checking out church, and you don't yet know Jesus, let today be the day that you come to this Savior. Because now is the day of salvation. The Lord has not come back, it says in 1 Peter, He's not come back, uh, count His uh, delay as salvation. He's not come back, so today is the day of salvation until He returns. But when He returns, if you don't know Him, it is too late. So would you trust in the Lord Jesus today? I'd love to talk to you about that if, you would, uh, if that's how the Lord is working in your heart. Well, for, as we conclude, for those of us who know Jesus, here God is compelling us to align our lives with our new identity in Jesus. We can do that by pursuing heavenly reality, seeking the things above, by adopting a heavenly mindset, setting our minds on the things above. And when he appears, you will appear with him in glory. Let's pray together. Father, we do look forward to that glorious day when Jesus will return. We thank you for the identity that is ours in Christ, how you have done the work. Lord, I ask that you would help us, each one of us who know and love you, to set our minds towards heavenly realities that we would live in line with this new identity you have given. And Lord, for those who don't yet know you, Lord, may they see the beauty of who you are.